Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Uh, October 14th, 2022, um, Camden County, we bashed their face in. Yes, we did. It was good. It was good. But it was more than a football game. Some of you guys may win, right? Right? Colquitt, Camden County. I mean, if you spend any time in school growing up, you know what like middle of October means, right? Typically means beautiful dresses. Stylish shoes, dance floors. What does it mean? It means Dylan smiling. Homecoming. That's what it means. Homecoming. I remember being excited for my homecoming whenever I was a senior. The song Yeah had just come out, like by Usher or Ursher, whatever you want to call it. All right. I remember the excitement. I remember like dressing up. I remember, man, it was a great night. It was fun. It was a blast. We ate at Steak and Shake afterwards, high-class meal right there. But it's interesting. Usually homecoming, if you think about it. You might not even be familiar with it. Usually what happens, it didn't happen this year. Usually the reason it's called homecoming is because in America, whenever your football team goes on the road to other opponent's stadiums, right? Usually what will happen is they'll play like two or three games away. And then right after that homecoming is scheduled, they are brought home. They are celebrated. They are brought back home. After an exhausting and long road trip, it's a way to welcome the home team back. After what is hopefully and what was for us, some well-fought wins, right? It's funny if we think of homecoming like that kind of like idea as like an American event, which I mean, to be fair, it kind of is. I mean, we are one of the only nations in the world that plays the best brand of football, opposed to the other kind that's on right now. But you know, the concept of coming home is not just American. It is. The long before we even scheduled something like homecoming, that we even read almost kind of like this idea in the Bible. That God will actually somehow, some way, bring his people home. Now that's interesting. You see, you might be like, David, what do you mean bring him home? That would kind of assume that we are away. You are correct, my friend, if you assume that this morning. That we actually, as human beings, experience a kind of desolation that we'll talk about in a minute. minute. Three points today, if you are someone who takes notes. If you're like one of those people, which I mean, I am, so feel free if you want. Here's our three points today. It's going to be super easy, hopefully relatively fast. One, desolation is real. Number one, desolation is real. Number two, God's Messiah is the only one who can end our desolation. God's Messiah is the only one who can end our desolation. And number three, our desolation will only end when we are finally welcomed home. 
Our desolation will only end when we are finally welcomed home. Let's read verses 1 through 4 this morning, all right? Isaiah 35 says this, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Again, some of your translations there say Arabah. All right. It shall be blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strength. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Our Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. You might be thinking, David, I have no idea what I just read there. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know what? That happens sometimes. It really does. All right. As we get better at reading our Bibles, you begin to understand more and more. Maybe you're like, David, why did you say like, uh, okay, some of your translations. Let's take a look at what's going on here. All right. What is God doing? He's talking to what? Is he talking to a person here at the beginning? What is he talking to? The wilderness and the dry land. He's talking to, he's talking to like, like, like the wilderness. What's going on here? Sometimes, one of the things that you have to do when you're reading your Bible is you have to know kind of what's going on. So we got some slides up here so I can kind of show you. Whatever it says, for instance, uh, desert, what it's talking about is this place right here. This is called the Arabah. Let me ask you, does that look like a place you want to live? Probably not. This is one of the driest places on earth. It's just south of the Dead Sea, which you're like, what's the Dead Sea? It's a sea that's literally dead. Nothing lives in it because its salt content is literally so high. One of the, one, one of the most, like, like no life places on earth. And what does God say to this place right here? What does he say to this place? Did you pick it up? He says this, the desert, the Arabah, shall rejoice and blossom like the wood. Crocus. Debbie might know what that means. I don't know. When I read it, I'm like, that sounds like something. So I looked it up. So this is what a crocus is. If you're one of our crocuses, this is a crocus. Let me ask you, is there a difference between the last slide and the first slide? There is. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. He says this, the glory of Lebanon. What in the world? What is that? The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. I'll give you another slide. This is Lebanon. He says, you know what that desert is going to look like one day? It's going to look like that. And you might be thinking, well, David, I'm glad that I had a lesson in geography today. That sounds really great. But why? What's going on here? This is really stinking cool. How many of you guys have been to like a play or a drama before? Most likely you probably have, right? Now, when someone's like a stage, is, they're up on stage, usually the walls don't just look white like this, right? The, 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 they just don't have, what do they do? They decorate. Even this nice backdrop, like you've been to a good show, like there's this like humongous backdrop going on. You're like, what in the world is that? You see, people who are in drama, they set the scene of what is going on on the stage by the background of what's going on in the back. 
So what is God doing here? Notice this desolation. If you're wondering what desolation is, it's basically a big word for like desert. Uh, Nothing living. He's trying to show you something about your life and my life. Notice, is the only desolation in this chapter the geography? Look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will recompense with you. He will come and save you. This is not just a geographical desolation. There is a physical desolation that's going on here. You might be like, David, what are you talking about? Here's what I mean. That you as a human being, you are made for goodness, faithfulness, flourishing, loving kindness, to be treated with honor and dignity and loyalty at all times. Let me ask you, is that your experience in life? You might be like, that's actually not been my experience. And you see, the Bible actually gives a reason for that. Because our first father, Adam, we live in the results of his choice. That he rejected God's rule over him. And because of that, here's what this means. That your life will experience desolation. No matter who you are here, whether the oldest in the room or the youngest, your life will have an experience and a taste and a flavor of suffering and desolation. Death will touch you. You will have heartbreak. You will or are experiencing unrequited love. You will feel unloved. You might feel ugly. You might experience people leaving you one day. You will feel unwanted. And above all, you will feel almost as if God has singled you out and touched you with a burden so unique that your agony no one else in the world could actually understand nor could they carry. It's interesting. Even here, you see this backdrop of a wilderness. And the backdrop of the wilderness is to show you what is going on in the front of the stage. The God's just not interested in transforming a little desert into something that is actually beautiful and much. No, no, no. He's telling a bigger and greater story. That he's trying to show you first that your desolation, it's real. And here's the thing, some of you in this room, you might be, let's say you're Mr. 16-year-old or something like that. Like, you can lift weights and you're like, man, you're like, man, my life don't have no desolation. Just wait, man. Just wait. There will be things in life that bring you to your knees. But you see, here's the thing about our desolation. It's not just physical, right? It's also... Blinding. 
It's also blinding. And like, Dave, what are you talking about? It's blinding. What do, what, what do you like? What do you mean? My desolation is blinding. One of my friends, he uh, he texted me this past week. We went to college together. We played the band for a little bit together. And um, his name uh, his name's Walker. He lives like a ton of states away, so he would not care if I'm using this because you have no idea who he is. And uh, I remember he just texted me one day. I got a I got a I got a thing from him. Like I hadn't gotten a text from him for a while. It was literally just like a picture of him and me. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Usually those are the kind of texts that people send you and what? They're like lonely or something, right? So I'm like, okay, like I was like, hey man, what's up? What's new with you? And this is his response. Oh, Things are different these days. Two awesome kiddos, sales director for a construction company, divorced, seeing a cool girl, playing a really creative project, not going to church, happy. How about you? I'm like, that's funny because that doesn't actually sound happy at all. That sounds like really depressing. And I could tell it was. So I told him a little bit about it. My current life. Um, and I mean, he sent me these pictures of his, his life, right? Like all these, like his kids and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, now I gotta like send him something. I'm like, all right, so like I'm looking through my pictures and like, what's the most recent thing that's happened to me? Like, okay, Harvest Fest. That's an event that we have here at the church uh, where we play a lot of music that we've written. And uh, I, so I sent him these pictures with me and some of the other band members and some of the pictures of the night. And you know what he told me? This was his response. Dude, you look really happy in those pictures. And I was like, whoa! I was like, what a human response. What a human response. Here's why I say this. First, let me say this. He didn't say anything bad or wrong. He didn't actually say anything that's actually completely true either. Because those of you who know me well, you know that my life indeed is a great deal of suffering while simultaneously an undercurrent of the joy of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing it revealed to me. That me, as well as you, as well as this guy, here's what you and I have a tendency to do. We have a tendency, because of our fallen condition, to see in other people's lives the things that we ourselves want. While simultaneously blinding ourselves to their desolations. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. I'll give you an example. This is why, for instance, social media is incredibly, incredibly popular. This is what makes all the platforms make money. This is why, for instance, if you spend long times in Facebook, statistically, you will feel worse about your life. Why? What's going on there? We scroll and we look through these social media platforms because what does that give us? That gives us some hope that maybe my life could be like that. And that right there, that picture of their life is the totality of their life. Is it though?
This is why we love social media. This is why some of you, you like watching like YouTube families and stuff, all right? We see in other people and in other things the flourishing one that we were made for and two, the flourishing that we long to see while simultaneously blocking out the reality of the hard parts of their life. You might be wondering, Dave, why does this matter? Why is what Isaiah is talking about here? Why does this matter? Because here's the thing. If you do not preach this to yourself every day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to secretly distrust God, even if you never say it out loud. You totally will. This is what will cause you to sin over and over again. Why? Because all you're doing, what? Remember, you're looking at other people's lives and you're concluding, God has given me the short end of the stick. I am his little voodoo doll that he pierces over and over again. But not only that, your life will be miserable because what you are doing, what I do naturally, is we are constantly comparing what God has given gifts to other people and we are comparing that with our own. But here's the thing, what God has done He's actually given us his word so that you and I might see the world rightly so that you can look at other people and the good things that happen to them. And actually, through the Holy Spirit, actually for the first time, be able to rejoice with them, knowing that that is not the totality of their life. That they have their own desolation, just like you do. They walk in the desert, just like you do. But not only that, think about this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that show us? We're constantly, when we're reading our Bibles, we're constantly looking. What what does Christ have to do with what I read? Here's one of the things in the true beauties of the gospel. It shows that, here's the thing, that life does come after desolation and death. That he was a man of what? Sorrows. Well acquainted with grief. And that he spent 30 years on this earth in agony. But here's the thing. Christian exaltation comes after suffering. So you hold on. So one, our desolation is real. But number two, God's Messiah is the only one who can end our desolation. Let's look at verse three. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. You notice like he's telling them like, man, you're going to have to hold on. Say to those with an anxious heart, any of that you this morning? Not sure you're going to get blank. Wanting your whole life suddenly now it seems in doubt. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind, notice this, what's going to happen? 
The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Might be like, Dave, what's going on here? This is more stuff like, 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 what's going on here? You know what? I'm glad you asked. Here's one of the things. Because of texts like this, we as Christians naturally believe that there is a day that our desolation, that our suffering will come to an end. Not, not like kind of roll back a little bit and be like less, like, like lesser. No, no, no. It's actually going to disappear. Now notice though, let me ask you from reading this, when does it happen? Look down in the text. What does it happen? Did you notice? Verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. When is this? This is actually in the future. The Messiah will come. And he actually, by the way, is the only one who can put an end to your desolation. Auga, this is why this is important. Let's think about this for a second. Here's the deal. You and I, we each grew up in a culture, right? It doesn't matter what place of the world you grew up in, what family you had. Every single one of us grew up in some kind of culture. And here's the thing. Your culture told you that you can actually end your desolation. Now here's the thing, they would never use those words. But there are stories that we believe and things that we believe that if I got blank or blank was taken away from me, my desolation would be over. You see, as Christians, we're not the only people hoping that our desolation will be ended. We are just the only people who will have it ended. As human beings, in general, we look for an escape from our desolation. You might be like, David, how does our culture do that? Are you sure? Yes, I am. Let's use some examples from our culture. How does our culture say that we can actually end our desolation? Where will all desolation end? I'll give you the biggest one in our culture is romance and sex by far. You probably told yourself this before. Like if I could just date them, oh my gosh, if I could just marry him, oh my gosh, like it would be so good. Like I would have like my life would be suddenly wonderful. All my desolations would end. I mean, you can see this. In our arts, in our music. Let's take an example real fast. So uh, our cultural theologian, I think uh, he's got a slide back there. Uh, Taylor Swift, all right? So let's take a look at one of her songs. This is one of her new hit songs. Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. Too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city, pierced through the heart but never killed. I wake up screaming from dreaming one day I'll watch as you're leaving. 
and life will lose all its meaning. Did you catch that? There's a reason she's popular. She, she writes great music, don't get me wrong. Like, I totally admire her as a musician. It's because, here's the thing, her words naturally we believe. That we will lose ourselves if we are not loved. Or we will lose ourselves if we are not loved by a blank person. That they can actually bring you out of your desolation. Here's the problem. As some of you married people know, it's not true. The problems exist. That your desolation continues. Our culture, physical fitness, physical beauty. This is coming from someone who exercises frequently. But that will lead me out of my desolation. That if I am skinny enough, big enough, power of money. But notice from the text, is that when your desolation will end? Does it say, hey, say to those who have an anxious heart, your boyfriend will come. Does not say that. Say to those with an anxious heart. You will finally have, be able to have kids. Doesn't say that. Say with an anxious heart. You will finally land a six-figure job. Doesn't say that. When does our desolation end? It only ends... When Messiah comes. And here's why this is important for you and I. Because one of the things that you and I are very tempted to do. Is we are tempted to put on the clothing of Christianity. The outward form of it. While still hoping that these other things will bring us out of our desolation. All it is, is a Christianized paganism. That you might hold to the strongest of doctrines. And yet there is one doctrine overall. And that doctrine is if I get this man. Then my desolation will end. We do this with so many things. Maybe it's being seen as gifted and loved within your church. That's what will bring you out of your desolation. No, it will not. Financial wealth. That will bring you out of your desolation. Friend, I promise you, it will not. Go read the tabloids. Those are some rich people. Successful and obedient children will bring you out of your desolation. No, they will not. Being loved and known by someone else. Being honored, respected, having a good name. That will not bring you out of your desolation. That you and I do this all the time. That we say, for instance, my hope is in heaven, my hope. And yet, it's how interesting how many tentacles are attached here. But here's the thing. We are not without hope in this. We are not without hope in this. Here's the thing. You and I, part of our life is continually fighting this. David, how, 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 how do I fight this? And well, like, how, why would I want to fight it? Uh, how, how can I fight it? You know, that's a great question. 
Two things, and I'll give some examples. One, acknowledge that the desire that you have is often a good desire. Whether that's for children, whether that's for marriage, whether that's for like to provide your family, but also preach yourself frequently that that thing that you are hoping in will not end your desolation. I'll give you an example. So, girlfriend in here, let's say you're traveling with some of your other girlfriends someday. Okay? You guys got like an Airbnb in like Tennessee or something like that. Y'all are going out for the weekend. Now you're like 26, all your other girlfriends. I mean, some of them are 24, some of them are 28, some of them are 29. Like you're going, let's just say, we'll just call it, you're even going to a Christian conference. We're going to make this thing like super spiritual or something, okay? So like you're going to like a, a Christian conference and you got all your friends. Now here's the thing. You got four other lady friends that are going with you and you're the only one that's single. You check into the Airbnb. What does everybody do as soon as they get there? Think about it. Everybody moseys off to their little room, and what do they do? They take out their phone, and they call who? They call their husband, which you, by the way, don't have. So listen up, little eight-year-old girl, little 12-year-old girl in here, little 20-year-old girl who longs to be married. Here's the thing. We're living in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is a very good odds that this will happen to you. It's a pretty decent chance. What do you do in that moment? I'll tell you what you're tempted to do, all right? You're tempted to do what we all do. Pull out your phone, scroll onto Facebook. Uh Uh-oh. Which, nothing wrong with that, by the way. But what did we just talk about? What do you and I do? We look at other people's lives, and we're like, oh man, they got it good. Oh God, you're robbing me. Let me suggest, put down your phone. Go into the bathroom. And you weep there. You cry out to the Lord. Lord, you know this desire in my heart. But you also preach to yourself in that moment. You're like, but Lord, I also know this, that what I'm longing for in a man, no man on earth could ever give me. None. What I'm wanting in this right now, it is literally impossible for any man, woman, child, anything to ever give me. Bury my heart in Zion. Bury my heart in heaven. So it will be safe. You might cry. Yes, you will. And you walk out of that room, you brave woman, and you serve and love with all your might. Nobody will know that ever happened except your Father who is in heaven. And it's funny, you might be like, David, I'm I'm like wasting that. Actually, my friend, actually, young woman, no, you're not. No, you're not. Even if you never get married, the Lord, trust me, he will be there for you and he will be enough for you. But here's the thing. If you do and you develop that and you grow in that way during your singleness, you're going to be way more equipped for marriage than your your pumpkin spice latte friends ever thought they would be. 
all your other single friends, all your other married friends, you're going to be way more equipped because here's the thing. You will not do this. You will not put your hope as an end of desolation in your husband. You walk out in bravery. Or dads, when work is going tight and you're down to your last hundred dollars, and you know you got four kids to feed. And at the end of the table, at the end of the night, at the table you're eating. Like you're eating your mac and cheese. You, you guys are having a fun time. And then someone brings up that it's like one of your son's birthdays in like two weeks. And you just literally like choke up. Because you're like, am I even going to be able to get my son like a birthday gift? Like... You know, you, you excuse yourself from the table at that moment. You go to your room and you get down on your knees and you pray to the God of heaven. Because here's what you'll be tempted to do. Man, John's got a way better job than I do. Like, Lord, why have you given him this and not me? You're looking like money's going to end your desolation. It's not. Lord, thank you for what I do have, even if it is not what other men have. I want to give my son this. Um, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would provide for that. But one thing I do confess is that my hope is not in money. you read this your desolation will not end except when Messiah comes that's it we, we go around searching our entire lives for things that will end our desolation that can't possibly do it can there be miniature Desolations that are ended for you. Yes. Number three. Our desolation will only end when we are finally welcomed home. Look at verse seven. The burning sand shall become a pool. And the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reasonable. Rushes, what's going on here? I'll do this. Look, I'll explain the whole section by explaining one part of it. All right. So this is one that your kids will probably know. So look at the end of verse seven and the haunt of jackals. You might be thinking, haunt of jackals, what is that? Well, your kids probably know, even if they say that they don't. All right. So kids, you ever seen The Lion King? All right. So in the Lion King, little Simba sitting there with Mufasa, right? And like James Earl Jones, he's busting out his deep voice everywhere the light touches his our kingdom, right? And what does Simba say? What about, what about that shadowy place over there? He's like, that's not part of our domain. You must never go there. Does he follow instructions? He does not. Where does he go? 
He goes to the shadowy place. So kids, if you watch The Lion King and you remember, what is that shadowy place like? What do you see? Death, bones. Who's there? Who lives there? Do you remember? All the hyenas, right? That is a haunt of hyenas. This right here is a haunt of jackals. What is he saying here? The haunt of jackals, it'll become the place where they lie down. What does he mean here? If you notice in all these verses, it is a complete flipping of what's going on. Verse 7, the burning sand, what will it become? The exact opposite. The pool of water. The haunt of jackals. It'll be a place where you go to lie down and take a nap. Would you go to a haunted jackals to lay down and take a nap now? I promise you, you will not. Well, you might do it once. That's it. What is going on here? Here's one of the things that we see. In this text, you begin to see a great reversal. The Christianity, in one sense, is this. It is not just endurance. Some of you might have been like for years trying to be like, oh, I just got to push through, push through. That is actually not Christianity. Random endurance is not. Christianity is this. It is endurance in light of the great reversal that is coming. That when Jesus Christ died and rose again, what happened? He purchased the earth. He will restore. And he will restore all things. And here's the thing. He will restore all your desolations. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, no way. If he can restore that. How does he do that? Here's the thing. Many people, when I, like, I mean, as, as a pastor, people talk to me about Christianity all the time. And here's the thing. One, one error I, I've noticed a lot is that people tend to think, and I used to think this too, that like, for instance, if I just like, what Christian maturity is, is like, I get the right, like, doctrines. Or like, I organize my life in a way that like appears biblical or something like that. I'm not against any of those things. Those things are well needed. You want to know one of the greatest marks of actually what Christian maturity is? It's this. Here's the thing. You might have come this morning and you thought, okay, like, like, like Zion, heaven, like dwelling with God. You know, like that's real. Like I'll be like, that's real. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But here's the thing. You and I, the way that we come stop. We might think that's real, but we think the now is what's ultimately real. The 50, 60, 70, 80, some of you, maybe 20, you spend on this earth. You think that, that, we think that is what's ultimately real. And what Christian maturity is, is a way of orienting our life where all of a sudden we begin to see that this life is real. That ain't no joke. The suffering that you have been through, friend, is real. The suffering that I've been through is real. Here's the only thing. It is just not ultimately real. 
It is not the most real. But there is a life coming that is more real than this. And the reason we cannot imagine God ending our desolation is because this life is what seems most real to us. And that part of Christianity, part of conversion, part of like the Lord saving us is him beginning to do that work where he shows us that this life is real. That ain't no joke. But it is not most real. Verse 8, and a highway shall come, shall be there. What highway? Like 441, I-75, drove that yesterday, it was a nightmare. And a highway shall be there. What do they name this one? Interstate what? You see in the text there? What do they name it? It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Notice along this highway, what's going on? No lion shall be there. There's no, there's no danger. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall what? Do you notice this? Return. They will come to Zion with singing. And notice what this day is like. This is awesome. The last part of verse 10. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow. And sign. Shall flee away. Gone are the days when we cry. What is this getting at here? Do you notice that language of return? Some of you are like, like David, like what are you, what are you talking about? Like, like, like God, God, yeah, God is going to bring us home one day. Now here's the thing. Notice, He's not just generalizing, hey, like, I'm, I'm bringing everybody in irrespective, irregardless of anything. Notice the way to this city, the way to Zion, which is the Old Testament's way of basically saying where God dwells. Where does it actually, where do, where do you have to go through? The highway of holiness. This is not you, by the way, friend, picking up your bootstraps today and being like, oh, I need to be holy. I need to work hard to do this. No, no, no. The whole point is that you weren't. That's why you must return. That you were a rebel against God. It's not like, here's the thing, and it's not this. It's not, oh, I was once good and now I'm not. Whenever the Bible speaks of individuals, it talks, to, as, it talks to us in a way that's like, okay, 
from their birth. They've gone astray. They were born sinners. They were born that they were rebels against him. Whenever it talks about the human race collectively, it talks about the day when they will return. That we were once in his good graces, but now we are not because of Adam's sin. My friends, maybe who you've grown up in like Christian-ish cultures. What does this text invite you to today? It invites you to repent from all the ways that you have looked over and over again to end your desolation. All the ways that you have found that it does not lead to where it promised. And to embrace one who does. Now here's the thing. You will gain infinitely more. Gone will be the days of your sorrow one day. It will cost you everything in this life. But the price is worth it. No longer do you get to call your own shots. You walk in the way of holiness. You walk under his life. You walk in his race. Tired Christian to the one who is said, following Jesus has cost me so much. I don't doubt that it has. I don't doubt that it has. I would say this in the words of Isaiah. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come. Christian, this isn't easy. Like, I, I don't know, if maybe, I probably just wasn't listening. I mean, when I grew up, like, the Christian life was like smiles and easy. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. That no one will make it to Zion by accident. That I will not see my, see my king by accident. Is preaching this to myself every day. When I'm tempted over and over. To look at the stuff of this life as if it would bring me out of my exile. Like it would bring me out of my desolation. No way. No way. There is one who will. Man, I can't wait to that day. I'm telling you, I'm tired. I'm tired of it costing so much. And yet at the same time, by God's grace, you and I, we buckle down Not just buckling down for buckling down's sake. We buckle down knowing there is a great reversal that's going to come. That those who weep, those days will be gone. Until then we would.
We wait for Messiah to end our desolation. Let me pray. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.